We'll be back tonight, uh, Wednesday night, in my study, from my study. And uh, some of you folk joining me, welcome. Uh, thank you for uh, taking the time and that we can just study the Word of God together. And continuing tonight in the book of James, we're still in chapter 1. And uh, just looking to see how uh, God will speak to us and, and encourage us and challenge us uh, as we look at His Word tonight. So I'm going to pray and, and then uh, we'll look to read the scriptures and then spend some time just in explanation, see how uh, we understand the particular passage here tonight. And so, Lord, we do pray once again that you would go before us, lead us, we ask in, in our learning. And we have your word. Thank you for the revelation of this word, the fact that you have preserved it over these years. And also, Lord, that we see again and again in the lives of people the way that the word, your word is applied and, and works out and through uh, individual people's lives. And Lord, it is a difficult chapter in the fact that it stirs in our hearts just a reminder of difficulties, uh, particular hardships, and not quite sure who is uh, joining in tonight, but Lord, we do want to be sensitive to anyone who is particularly struggling and, and just to pray and praying that they would know much, much mercy from your hand and that your word, Lord, would be an encouragement and guide to us um, as well. And so we commit this time to you, just praying for its usefulness and, and Lord, the bearing of much fruit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I did mention in my prayer that this uh, opening chapter of James uh, does have a lot to say about trials. So it's not just those individual verses that we touched on two weeks ago regarding uh, count it all joy uh, when you uh, encounter trials. Uh, the, 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 there's a context. There's a continuity. And we need to remember when we come to studies like this that the verses we look at are not in isolation. But they do form part of a broader context. And uh, at this stage, we're still looking at the issue of trials, just looking at things from slightly different angles. And, and tonight, there'll be a particular example that also we'll be uh, considering. And so as we read tonight, I thought I'd uh, pick up from verse 1. And remember, or perhaps just for you to look out, the address is to the dispersion those who are in fact being persecuted, who have literally run for their lives. And so James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven, tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Then the passage we're going to consider tonight is from verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exalted position and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. 
For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes, so that so also will all the rich fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And then I'm going to add just the reading of verse 12 to just show you and remind you that the context is still that of trials. And James writes, he said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now the passage continues, and God willing, next week we will uh, consider the verses following as well. But uh, don't, again, if I could just remind you, don't think that these verses tonight are in isolation. Now if you did take notice of uh, verse 9 to 12, uh, it should have grabbed your attention because uh, like many other places we notice the mention of what we would define or describe as paradox or paradoxes. Now, let me give you some other examples because the Bible is filled with paradoxes uh, that we need to think about. Remember a paradox is, is known as an, an apparent contradiction, something that looks like it's contradictory but actually it isn't. When you dig a little bit deeper, you understand its meaning and you see the significance of it. So let me give you some examples that uh, some we're very familiar with. Giving is receiving. The Bible tells us that the weak are strong. The empty are full. The slave is free. The cursed are blessed. And death brings life. Did you get the point that there are these statements that, that when one takes them at superficial value, you kind of wonder, does this make sense? But they do. And so these statements, that they appear when we consider them to be contradictory. But as you think about it, you see more and more how valuable they are and increasingly, in fact, helpful uh, to us in our walk with the Lord. So to quote a well-known author, G.K. Chesterton, he gave a brilliant definition that applies in this particular context of paradox, about paradox in fact, and, and <coughs> he put it this way, a paradox is a truth standing on its head, shouting for attention. And that's what we want to do tonight. We want to dig into these paradoxes because there is something that God is saying through these paradoxes that immediately, well, we wonder what it means. But when you dig a little bit, as we're going to dig a little bit tonight, we're going to see how powerfully uh, challenging uh, these particular statements um, are, you, uh, um, are to us. He now moves on to what I said earlier on is an example of a particular type of trial. I remember he had said that there are trials of many kinds. Well, this is one specific or in fact two specific trials that he's going to elaborate on and, and get us thinking about uh, tonight. The first one, and uh, we mentioned this in verse 9, listen to this. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. That is the paradox of what I could describe tonight as the rich poor. And then as we move on, we see in verse 10, but the one who is rich 
should take pride in his low position. That's the paradox of the poor rich. Do, do you see the, the upside down expression and, and, and forcing us to say, but what's he saying? What does he mean? Um, how does that influence uh, my life? Uh, yeah, even today as uh, I'm unfolding in the course, living in the course of my life. Well, to go back to Chesterton, the two truths are waving their feet at you, at me, to grab our attention. And so I want to ask a question to begin with, and we're going to go uh, to the first point. So, um, how can the poor be rich? Now, I know that it's many among us, perhaps many people, some people we know, uh, struggle. They don't have resources. Um, life is difficult simply because of a lack of material wealth. And now we are talking about a paradox over here. How can the poor be rich? And, and so we need to think about this paradox. And, and I want to paraphrase the sentence, put it in some other words. Uh, it may help us at least along the way. Uh, let the brother who does not rise far above the ground take pride in the height he has reached. Do you get the picture? In the immediate, it looks like he's rock bottom. But as he considered it, it, it considers his life, there is actually a height, there's uh, a position that is reached that is good and, and great. Now, again, repeating myself in, in purely material terms, that does not make sense for us at all. Uh, we, humanly speaking and naturally speaking, uh, for most of us, there's a feeling that happiness goes hand in hand with prosperity. So in other words, happy means that you need to be rich. How can you be happy and poor? And so we need to correct that kind of thinking. And, and, and the way we begin to correct that kind of thinking is you can be sure that James is not referring to middle class uh, type person that, that many of us mix uh, with and, and perhaps even live in the context of that world. He's not speaking about people who are struggling to pay their bonds or perhaps struggling to pay off their new car. Uh, these people that he is writing to are, are people who are struggling as a result of discrimination because of their particular uh, faith in Christ and, and they've been discriminating, being discriminated against and ending up in poverty. So most of these people were probably new believers. They were facing isolation because of their escape from uh, persecution. And, and of course, in the escape, if they did have a job, they no longer have a job. If they had a house, they no longer uh, have a house. Or perhaps now they have something which is rather inferior or in inadequate. And they don't really understand the new context, uh, having a network that they would have had in their previous context. And so these people being referred to, we need to see them. We need to understand them to be poverty-stricken Jewish Christians. Their circumstances are tough. They are living in circumstances that were decidedly humble. And you can imagine uh, anybody coming from a country that is war-torn, uh, somebody who's come in because of uh, 
difficulty back in their own home country into this country and they can't find work and, 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 and so even finding a place to stay is difficult and if they do find a place to stay it's going to be uh, uh, it's not going to be in the suburbs it's probably going to be in, in a place that's not very nice or pleasant and so these believers were and certainly in God's eyes not simply poor there's a bigger picture there's more to see and I want to quote uh, an old Puritan by the name of Thomas uh, Menton, and, and, and he describes them this way. He describes them beautifully. In fact, he says, poor for Christ. That's the reason. That's the reason for their poverty. Their circumstances were not unrelated to the fact that they were Christians. And so James, James now is saying, paradoxically, that such a, such a person ought to take pride in their high position. Now his reasoning is implicit in the passage. Remember the broader context, uh, James, himself a believer, writing to believers and referring over here to a brother, a brother. In other words, this person, these people are fellow believers. And, and so therefore, what is their position? Why is it that they're not just poor full stop? but that they are in fact rich poor. And we can look further afield in the Bible and many examples that we can give. I'll just give a couple. Uh, Romans 8 verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. You see suddenly the, the bigger perspective, the greater picture. This is not just about squalor in a particular place, living in, 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 a, in a single room with an entire family or, or sharing a particular flat with three families. No, there's a bigger picture. There is the picture of, of being a child of God with an, an inheritance that the Apostle Peter speaks about that will never uh, fade, uh, spoil, or, or disappear. How about Hebrews chapter 12? Uh, there many things are said about uh, those who are the brothers, those who are children of God. You have come to Mount Zion. We touched on this just a couple of weeks ago in our morning service to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. And so there is an emphasis in this passage that we must consider not just the present temporal immediate situation of your life. And if you are struggling, if you don't have material uh, resources and you feel as if you're impoverished in, in the immediate existence of life, Open your mind to the riches that are yours in Christ, that are yours as a child of God, are yours into eternity. As the Apostle Peter uh, also puts it, another example in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You consider for a moment, you are a chosen people, chosen by God, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, People belonging to God. To get something of the, the richness that can be attributed to the poor believer. And of course, uh, as the verse that Peter quotes continues, that we may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into light. Now, what's he saying? What's he saying, if I can put, put it in a summary? 
dear friend, and, and I wonder if there's somebody listening tonight who really is grappling with the issue of, of feeling materially impoverished, not provided for, struggling, struggling. Well, James is saying tonight, and I want to add to that, God is saying through James to you that you may not be far off the ground materially or outwardly, but take a moment to consider that contrast between the outward circumstances which are humble and the inward dignity and status and heritage and prospect as a child of God. Perhaps we need to think more about who we are as children of the living God, uh, as, as, as that which we have in Christ now, but also forevermore. Perhaps to put it another way, dear friend, the humble circumstances that you find yourself in are temporary. But your exalted personal relationship to the Lord and with the Lord is permanent with amazing blessing. And so a great lesson we must learn as believers, especially in the materialistic uh, context that we find ourselves in. Your worth and, and my worth is not tied to the size of our bank account or the assets that we can list in a balance sheet or on a balance sheet. Instead, your worth is tied to the price that was paid to secure your salvation. And, and, and here's that well-known verse, and again you see the, the, the paradox coming uh, through so clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. And we understand the poverty is the process of humiliation, uh, the undertaking of the incarnation by the second person of the Trinity, the Son, living in this world, confined uh, to the flesh, being fully human, uh, fully God, uh, walking the road of, of perfection on this earth and, and amongst people, being tempted by the devil, yet remained without sin, uh, being betrayed by a supposed friend and disciple, uh, put to, first convicted, uh, and, and, and a conviction through misrepresentation and lies, and then facing uh, the death of, of, of a criminal on a cross, uh, horrible physical suffering, but, 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 em but emotionally also the, and spiritually the separation, being subjected to the wrath of God. Do you, do you see the process of what's, what's taking place? He became poor. He did this, receiving in his body the punishment for your sin as a believer and, and, and you benefiting, you becoming rich, you being credited with the righteousness and the benefits and the blessings of the work of the Lord Jesus. And so those of you who are feeling discouraged because of poverty as a trial, don't forget if you're a believer, you're a brother, sister, God has lifted you from the ground to a new status that will not be fleeting, that will not pass away. As a child of God, you are an heir. And 
will experience the blessings of all the covenant promises made by God. Well, that's the, the first paradox. Now I want to move on to the second one and ask another question. How on earth can the rich be poor? Now, if all of us, any of us are honest, uh, we are tempted at times to look at people who are wealthy and uh, consider the rich as being privileged, uh, secure, uh, and better off than the rest of anybody else. Well, Jesus taught that the rich are in fact underprivileged. Did you know that? Underprivileged and vulnerable. And I'm going to try and explore that a little bit tonight. And, and don't forget this. And, and if you are rich tonight, perhaps you need to be thinking, you need to be considering in what way you are underprivileged or may be underprivileged and in what way may you be vulnerable. Well, the story of the rich young man who came to Jesus asking what he ought to do, what he must do to inherit eternal life, after Jesus told him, sell to, to sell all he had and give to the poor, the scriptures record that this man went away sad because he had great wealth. Uh, in Mark chapter 10 and verse 22 following, well, Jesus makes a pronouncement. It's very clear. And this is the vulnerability. This is the, the reality of being underprivileged if you are wealthy. Children, how hard it is to enter, for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That's a scary statement. That's a very scary statement. Jesus is essentially saying it is impossible for men and women. Now, here's the point who trust in riches, who put the eggs in the basket of riches to get into heaven. And, and, and the vulnerability is that material wealth has the tendency to give a false sense of eternal security. You see, it is difficult for the rich in the course of their lives because they used to have everything provided for them. They, 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 there is a tendency, there is a, tenzen, a tendency for them to find it difficult to present themselves as naked, humble beggars before God. It's hard for them to come, as it were, before God with empty hands because they got full pockets. And so there's a sense in which the full pocket gives a false sense of security. It's, it, it, it's hard for them, uh, that they, for them to see themselves as those who are helpless and dependent because uh, their, their whole life screams at them that they are self-sufficient and independent. What does that mean? It means that our rich culture, and, and don't, don't believe that this applies only to people who live in Santon or Watercliff Rich. Most of us who have a roof over our heads and drive a car and have a job are amongst the wealthiest people in the world. And so the challenge comes to any of us, actually, I think most of us certainly in our Central Baptist context. It's something that touches and it ought to challenge the lives of anyone who has 
resources. Anyone then, and of course anybody now. And so, putting it bluntly, is wealth can be a problem to spiritual well-being. And notice what I said there, can be a problem. It doesn't have to be a problem. It may not be a problem, but it can be a problem. The danger lies in, in, in the fact that, that wealth lures one to focus in dependence on material things. Jesus warned in another place in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22, the deceitfulness of wealth that chokes spiritual life. Now there's a lot in our society today being bandied about in social justice circles about privilege. Well, I want to tell you, if you're rich, you're underprivileged because you may well be so uh, uh, secure in that which is unable to secure your position in heaven before God into eternity. We find in the book of Revelation, again, the Lord warning against pride and independence. Revelation 3.17, you say, I am rich. Remember the passage? I've acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. What does Jesus say? But you do not realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And so as a rich person, any one of us can have the wool pulled over our eyes as to our true need, our true standing, our true spiritual condition. And so the ultimate danger is that those who have great wealth tend to regard what they have and what, have, what they have acquired as eternal. A rich convert must have, and if you're a believer tonight with resources, you need to be careful, you need to guard against, you need to search your heart, you need to develop and ask God to give you a perspective about material possessions and wealth. I found this uh, illustration. Was a certain newspaper offered a prize for the best definition of money. I wonder what your definition of money is. The winning entrance definition was the following, I quote, Money is an article which may be used as a universal passport to everywhere except heaven, and as a universal provider of everything except happiness. Maybe I'll change that to salvation. So, so folks, do, 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 the wisdom of God's word, I just can't believe the wisdom of, of God's word is so great. And, and the good sense of the paradox, James giving counsel to the poor to encourage, James giving counsel to the rich, material rich, as a warning. Verse 10a, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position. And so the counsel to the wicked here is, yes, you do need to. You ought to cultivate a poverty of spirit of need before God. Like when you first became a believer. Do you remember that? Being lowly, being humble, blessed are the poor in spirit. Not boasting, not prideful, not looking down your nose on other people. Not thinking you better than anybody else. You see, as a Christian, 
we never outgrow, or perhaps I could change that phrase, you can never out-acquire the realization of your total and utter need for God. We stand in need of God constantly. And I wonder, like the Apostle Paul, if there isn't a need for us to see ourselves honestly and even progressively after being a believer for 40 years or 45 years, whatever it may be, 60 years, I'm still the worst of sinners. Empty hands. Nothing, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. James adds, the passage is not over, he adds an illustration just to uh, make his point. He wants to drive his point home. And he does so by reaching back into the Old Testament and the book of Isaiah. And look again at verse 10. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because. In other words, why? Just pause for a minute and think. Because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Don't forget, don't forget, any one of us, life is passing. Life is transitory. Quote uh, uh, John Wesley. He has a great quote, I think, a very humbling quote. So perhaps I could call it a sobering quote. He says of himself, I'm a creature of a day, passing through life as an arrow through the air. A few months hence, I'm no more seen. I drop into an unchangeable eternity. I want to know one thing, the way to heaven. Quite another older author, and I believe a useful prayer that I've been reminded of in study of this passage again. Lord, burn eternity into my eyeballs. Which brings me then to my third point, just uh, briefly, which is really just a summary. I've called it the real winners. Uh, verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, whatever that test may be, and we've been looking at poverty tonight, or riches, both are trials, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So the trials described, as I've said, are, are, are both sides, poverty and wealth, neither are exempt from temptation. They're both trials, but in different ways. Uh, in absolute terms, we could say both uh, rich and poor believers share the same high ground in Christ. That would be true. Both are equally members of the royal priesthood. But here's the point. In terms of the dynamics of practical Christian living, in terms of practical Christian experience, in the present realities of a fallen world, poor people and rich people are affected in opposite directions. By the poverty prosperity tension and consequently need to respond differently. The poor needing uplifting and the rich needing humbling. There's another paradoxical statement challenge from Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 verse 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it. 
Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so, isn't it true? Jesus speaking about true discipleship is about self-denial. Self-denial will protect you. It will protect me from allowing either the lack of money on the one hand or the abundance of money on the other hand to rob you of the joy of eternity. And so, yes, true faith must not allow poverty or wealth to close your eyes to the glories of heaven. And I'm going to add something. And to the hollowness of earth. And I'm going to say that again. True faith must not allow poverty or wealth to close your eyes to the glories of heaven and to the hollowness of earth. As a prayer I learned some years ago from the book of Proverbs, I think it's a prayer that we can end with. Um, Proverbs 30 verse 7, Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Oh Lord, search our hearts, I pray. Help us not to be defensive on these matters, but rather, Lord, to reflect in the light of your word asking your spirit to search our hearts. Keep us, Lord, from deceitfulness, we pray in Jesus' name. And Lord, we do pray again that you'd continue with us, help us, Lord, in life day by day, in whatever trials we may find ourselves in. And Lord, may you be glorified, may you be exalted in the evidence of trophies of grace that appear all over the place, we pray. Amen. All right, so that ends our study tonight. Uh, one more slide, which is just the, the questions. And if anybody uh, is following this in terms of having a discussion, do take a, a, a photograph of that. And uh, do trust tonight has been a challenging, it's, it's, it's kind of an awkward, disturbing message, but I hope it's been helpful. Because remember, we are being perfected to ultimately to that place of conformity to the likeness of Christ. So God bless you, be with you, and uh, look forward to us uh, meeting again.